Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people. I've had a special interest in providing practical and actionable information that helps seniors and family caregivers learn from us in geriatrics for several years now. And I do this mainly because I know that many people would like to understand their health better and would like to learn how to help prevent common senior health problems or better manage existing ones. Now, most people, as far as I can tell, don't particularly enjoy having to spend too much time on their health. What we all mostly want is to be able to live our lives as we usually do and be involved in our work, our families, our communities, and otherwise be able to live life to the fullest extent we can. But aging does eventually bring on health vulnerabilities and health problems. Although you don't want life to be all about health as you get older, it's important to learn to do what's most useful and important to maintain better health while aging, because that's how you can remain as vital and independent as possible for as long as possible. Furthermore, I know that older adults are often provided with what I think of as stock healthcare, which is actually more designed for younger people. And so it turns out that it's fairly common right now that older adults don't get quite the right healthcare that they need, and they also often get healthcare that they don't need or that can be potentially harmful to them. So the goal of this podcast is to help you learn what really works when it comes to better health while aging and how to address common aging health concerns so that you or older loved one, if you're one of the many people who's helping an aging parents or another relative, so that you or that older person can live a better life. As this is our inaugural episode for the podcast, I thought it would be fitting to spend the rest of this first episode addressing three questions that I've been asked over and over again over the years related to my work and to health for older adults. And those are first, what is geriatrics? Two, at what age should one start geriatrics care? And three, do I need to find a geriatrician? Let's start with geriatrics. Over the years, I found that people have heard the word and usually it rings a bell and often they know it has something to do with older people, but they're not quite sure what. I've also noticed that people often confuse geriatrics with gerontology. That's understandable because they're related fields, uh, but they aren't quite the same thing. So I'm going to try to make things a little clearer for you. An important thing to know is that geriatrics is fundamentally a medical specialty. It's the branch of health and medicine that focuses on older adults, whereas gerontology is the study of aging. So it's a broader field. And gerontologists are people who've studied aging in some way. Usually they've done coursework. And uh, you can get certificate programs, you can get a master's, you can get a PhD. But in doing gerontology, you're not necessarily getting health training or clinical training. So gerontologists are not usually health professionals, although some are, and they're not required to have that clinical training where you learn to care for patients. Whereas geriatricians have to go to medical school. All geriatricians usually do a residency in either internal medicine or family practice. And then we do some extra study in geriatrics at least one year. It used to be two, now it's one year. 
So that's extra study in the specialty that figures out the optimal way to help older adults with their health. And so that means the optimal way to do things like manage prevention of health problems, the optimal way to evaluate and treat new symptoms or health concerns, the optimal way to manage chronic diseases, which, as you know, are health problems that generally are not curable and that people have to live with indefinitely. It also means that in geriatrics, we've developed better ways to manage problems that are quite common in older adults. And these include things like falls or memory concerns or declines in independence. So in a lot of ways, it's analogous to pediatrics. Just as we developed the specialty of pediatrics, because doctors recognize that children do better when they get health care that's been suitably modified to fit with a child's age and the needs of the growing body. We've developed a specialty of geriatrics because older people do better when they get health care that's been suitably modified to be a better fit with what happens as people get older. So you might be wondering, well, now, what is it that happens as people get older? And I'm going to briefly go over these because I think it's actually quite relevant to the other questions that people ask me all the time, which is at what age does one start geriatrics care and do they need to find a geriatrician? In practical terms, I would say that there are five things that become increasingly common as people get older, and the geriatrics approach is meant to fit with these. The very first one is that the mind and body become more vulnerable. What this means is that the mind and body are less resilient when it comes to stressors and illnesses and injuries. I think at some level we all recognize this in our own bodies because as we get older, even in the earlier time of our life in going from our 20s to our 30s to our 40s, we can see that we get injured a little bit more easily or that it takes a little longer to recover from an illness or some event that strains the body. And of course, we usually notice cosmetic changes like gray hairs, but that age-related vulnerability and changes of the body does have pretty significant implications for medical care. One of the most common things that comes up often relatively early, meaning when people are in their 60s, is that people become more sensitive to the effects of medications. And they also become more sensitive to the side effects of medications. And those are the sort of um, things that often happen when you take a medication, but they're not the primary intended event. And so, for instance, certain types of medication will give you dry mouth as a side effect. Usually the medication is not prescribed to cause dry mouth, but people get dry mouth. And that would be an example of a side effect. So people tend to become a little bit more sensitive and either notice it more or more likely to have something else happen because of that side effect. This increased vulnerability that we see in the mind and body as people get older, to a certain extent, it's a result of aging itself, which is its own sort of complicated, interesting process. And there's a lot of interesting research being done related to it. But also, people have often developed chronic illnesses at some point in their lives, like diabetes or high blood pressure. And those chronic illnesses themselves often exert their own wear and tear on the body. So that's another reason why people tend to be a little less resilient in their body and mind as they get older. So moving on to the second thing that I think is quite common as people get older and we've adapted to in geriatrics. So another thing is that people develop multiple chronic conditions or are more likely to have multiple chronic conditions. And that's important because those chronic conditions can interact with each other and with the age-related changes of the body and mind. It's actually known that within people who are 65 and older and who are in Medicare, it's the exception to have less than two chronic conditions. Among Medicare beneficiaries, about two-thirds of people have at least two chronic conditions, and a fair number of them have three, four, or even more chronic conditions. And depending on what those conditions are and how many there are, 
it can become really important to think about integrating the care of those many conditions together. And that's something we think about a lot in geriatrics. We're not the only ones to do it, but it's relevant. And the more conditions somebody has, and potentially the older they are, the more important it is to not treat every disease or organ completely separately from the rest, because people live as an entire person, not as a collection of diseases. So moving on to the third thing that tends to happen as people get older, they tend to develop what we have historically called geriatric syndromes. It's not a very glamorous name. And these are the health problems in older adults that are quite common and that are usually due to multiple underlying factors. So these include things like falls, memory problems, incontinence and bladder issues, depression. And these are all problems that happen to younger people. But when people are younger, they usually track back to a more specific underlying disease, which you can try to treat or manage. Whereas people as get older, they develop these problems, and it's kind of because a lot of things are happening at the same time, including the aging of the body. So we call those geriatric syndromes, and they are treatable, but it tends to work best to take a little bit of a different approach to an older person who, for instance, is falling than to somebody who's 35 and starts to fall. Moving on to the fourth thing that's very common in older adults, that's that they often eventually develop some chronic impairments of the body and mind. And at the beginning, these can be fairly small things. You know, it can mean that because you have some chronic arthritis in your knee and stiffness, it's become harder to go up and down the stairs in the house where you've been living for a long time. But of course, some people develop disabilities that are more substantial. So a stroke, for instance, might cause pretty uh, significant difficulties moving around or with brain functions. And then, of course, eventually a fair number of people develop memory problems or thinking problems, so conditions such as Alzheimer's disease, which cause permanent changes to the brain and to people's ability to think and use their mind. And then there are other chronic illnesses. So if you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, that causes shortness of breath, and that too can affect the way that you live your life and your ability to do certain things. So it is common for people to develop some chronic limitations in a way on the way their body or mind functions. And ideally, you want doctors to be aware of these impairments for kind of two reasons. One is that it's important for us in medicine to help people, first of all, reverse them to the extent that we can, and to compensate for them so that they can still be as active and able in their life as possible despite having a chronic limitation on their physical abilities or mental abilities. And then also just the way we might provide a person or a family with directions on what to do about their health. If people have a limitation in their thinking abilities or in their physical abilities, it's really important to take that into account when we make the medical care plan. So that's another thing that's very important to us in geriatrics and that we're very mindful of is how are people's abilities and what do we need to change about what we're doing to help them compensate for that and to make the medical plan more feasible. And then last, but definitely not least, as people get older, there tends to be chronic involvement of a family member or friend or other person. Now, as humans, we're social creatures, so almost all of us have other people involved in our lives, spouses or people we live with, close family, friends, and these people are always exerting a certain influence on our health in that they, you know, they make suggestions to us, they encourage us or discourage us to eat a certain way or exercise a certain way. So that social health circle certainly affects us. But as people get older, their family and friends often shift from being influencers to actual implementers of healthcare. 
For older people, it's often either a spouse or an adult child. And it might start off with things like picking up medications or helping the person cook a certain diet that might have been recommended for a chronic health condition or bringing the person to appointments. But it's fairly common for family caregivers to take on more and more, especially if the older person is sick or disabled. And so that's another feature that's fairly common in the medical care of older adults is that they often have one or more people who are very involved in the healthcare. And in geriatrics, we try to be mindful of that and factor that into our evaluation and our partnership with the patient and what we think of as the care circle. Those are five things that often influence people's health as we age. And in geriatrics, we've developed an approach and a knowledge base that allows us to modify healthcare so it works better with those five things. So now let's move on to the next question that I'm often asked, which is at what age should one start geriatrics care? The true answer is that there's no set age at which you need healthcare that's different from when you were, say, 40 years old. The question really is, you know, when do you start to develop those five things that I mentioned before? Because when you do, that's when it starts to become more and more helpful to get healthcare that's been suitably adapted and modified to accommodate those. And as you can tell, different people develop these problems at different ages. As I mentioned earlier, in general, most people by their 60s are becoming more sensitive to medications. So it's good to start being careful about medications at that age. And there actually is a list of medications that's revised every few years by geriatricians, a list of medications that older adults should avoid or use with caution. It's called the Beers Criteria, and I can put a link to it in the show notes. So that usually starts around, you know, I would say age 60s, and then falls also become more common when people are age 60s and older. But exactly when that happens really varies from person to person, because people's health as they age is quite variable. There are some people who are disabled by stroke in their 50s, or sometimes even younger, and there are other people who are in their 90s, and they're doing really well. They have no diagnosed chronic conditions, they're not having any falls or thinking problems, they're not experiencing any disabilities or difficulties, they're living independently, and probably all that they have that requires sort of special consideration is that they are vulnerable in their mind and body, even though some of these people in their 90s don't realize it or don't like to think about it. And so, you know, even for those people, we should be careful about prescribing medications We should be mindful that illnesses might show different symptoms when people are much older. And that's because that vulnerability of the mind and body means that sometimes symptoms are different when people are older. And so that's why, for instance, if a much older person develops a urine infection, they might just be weak and confused. Whereas when you're younger and you have a urine infection, you feel that your urine burns, but usually you're not otherwise confused or too different from the way you usually are. In short, geriatrics is the medical specialty that has focused on these better ways to improve the health of older adults and better ways to adapt healthcare to fit what happens as people get older. And as such, I think that knowledge base that we have, and I would describe our expertise as not only specific knowledge about what medically is most effective when helping older people with their health, but also as expertise in using an approach. We develop approaches that work better for talking to people who have chronic impairments or who have family heavily involved or who have lots and lots of medical problems at the same time. And that approach, I think, is relevant really to anybody who's aged 60s or older. This brings us to the third question, which is, do you need to find a geriatrician? I think this is, a, in some ways, a tricky question to answer. In the United States, pretty much everyone who wants to see a pediatrician, so someone who's specially trained in the care of children, is able to do so, because we have lots of pediatricians. 
And not only do we recognize that it's a special and necessary knowledge base, but we've been able to train many doctors to do it. And so you can see a family medicine doctor, and they will actually have had a lot of training in pediatrics too, or you can see a pediatrician. But for the other end of the uh, aging and life spectrum, we unfortunately do not have many doctors who have chosen to specialize in geriatrics. As of right now, we have about 7,500 geriatricians, and we have about 45 million people aged 65 or older, of whom about 6 million are aged 85 or older. That's not a lot of geriatricians. For the number of older adults we have, it's about one geriatrician for 2,700 people aged 75 or older. So that's problem number one. There just are not many geriatricians for the number of people who would benefit from accessing our expertise. And then we have an added twist, which is that even though most doctors do see older adults because older people are the ones who use the healthcare system the most, and that's because aging tends to bring on health problems, most of them have not been trained in geriatrics. And I've had a fair number of clinicians tell me, oh, I practice geriatrics because, you know, I see a lot of people in their 70s and 80s. But the real question is not, are you as a doctor treating people in their 70s and 80s? It's, are you providing that modified healthcare that better fits? And so if you treat an older person medically the same way as a person who's 40, then it's probably not quite right. So should you find a geriatrician? I think if you have concerns about health in an older person, especially if there have been declines in independence or memory, or you're dissatisfied or concerned about the way the medical care has been going so far, then finding a geriatrician is a great option. The challenge, though, is that often when people look, they have difficulty finding one who's available because there just aren't very many there. So what I think can be more productive is instead of focusing solely on I'm going to find one of these geriatricians and get the right care, it's to focus on learning about and looking for, for the sort of expertise. So there are many clinicians who are not board-certified geriatricians, but who are providing that adapted care. That's in part because there's now a big effort underway to make sure that most generalists and you know really most doctors, unless you're in OB or pediatrics, are seeing older people. So there's a push to make sure that most practicing doctors get a little bit more geriatrics training. And then certainly in primary care, it helps a lot if a primary care clinic is kind of designed and created to anticipate common issues that come up for older adults. And so that kind of infrastructure in the clinic can make a huge difference and can allow a generalist to provide really good geriatrics care. And then last but not least, and this is you know a large reason why I'm starting the podcast, is along with training healthcare professionals in geriatrics, the most important people on a person's healthcare team are the patient and the family. And so we can also make an effort to make geriatrics better known to the general public. And that's a large part of why I do the work I do and help them access the information that we have within our field because we want everybody to be equipped to take good care of their own health and their family. And so that means that you should also be given an opportunity to learn some, some geriatrics. Because when you come to the doctor's office with some of that knowledge, you're better able to ask the right questions and kind of remind them to pursue some of the approaches or access some of the expertise that we've developed in our field. So I'm starting this podcast because I know that many people don't realize that there's a special field of medicine about how to provide better health care to older adults. I know that many people think geriatricians are just for people who are very old and maybe have Alzheimer's and maybe are in nursing homes. And it's true that those people are our highest priority for us as geriatricians. It makes sense that we should focus on the ones who need our special skills the most. 
but I really believe that what uh, we know and do in my field can be useful and helpful to most older adults, which I would say is pretty much anybody aged um, 60s or older. So to finish this inaugural episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about myself and about my plans for the podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, and as you can probably tell listening to me, I'm myself, a board-certified geriatrician. I completed my residency in internal medicine at UCSF, that's the University of California, San Francisco, and I completed a clinical fellowship in geriatrics at UCSF as well. Clinical fellowships are how doctors subspecialize. So that's how I subspecialized from internal medicine into geriatrics, and so I'm board certified right now in both internal medicine and geriatrics. I then went on to complete three years of research training at UCSF, and that's kind of like graduate school for doctors who want to do research or health services administration or otherwise learn skills beyond one-on-one doctoring. And I did this because for a very long time, I've been interested in how we might make primary care better for older adults. And so I wanted to study healthcare delivery and healthcare quality improvement, and I did some coursework in that and also completed a scholarly research project in that. And I was studying quality measures, which are the things we might grade doctors and clinics on to make sure they're providing good care. But halfway through my fellowship, I switched to writing about geriatrics for family caregivers. And I did this because I met someone who was working for a caregiving website, which is called caring.com. And when I saw the health information online and realized how many people were looking online because they have questions and worries and they want answers, I was really struck by the potential of the internet to provide health information and support to older adults and their families. Now, this was back in 2008, and at the time, I didn't think the health information online was terrific in that it didn't have that geriatrics perspective. It was really sort of very standard health information that's based on the best practices for a single disease, and that's usually designed for optimal treatment in someone who's a younger or middle-aged adult and doesn't necessarily take into account the possibility of having other illnesses or age-related changes. So we're now many years later, and things have certainly improved. But I still find that a lot of health information online is not quite what I would tell my patients or what I think my colleagues in geriatrics would recommend. That's a large part of why I want to start this podcast. I'm new to podcasting, but I have been writing about geriatrics for the public ever since 2008. I spent a few years as the senior medical editor for the website caring.com, which is for family caregivers. And now since 2013, I've been posting practical health information to my own website, Until recently, it was called geriatricsforcaregivers.net. I've recently renamed it, and it now has the same name as this podcast. So it's betterhealthwhileaging.net. I also still practice. I have a small geriatrics consultation practice in San Francisco, but I keep it part-time because this gives me the flexibility to focus on what I'm most interested in, which is helping people benefit from what we know and do in geriatrics. So in this podcast, I'm planning to generally cover common health problems that I often address with patients or that I see coming up for older adults, and we'll generally focus on boiling it down to some practical information that you can use to then get better care for your doctors, or at least to learn a little bit more about better health while aging. I also really want to address other common issues that come up when we're trying to help an older parent or another older relative, because I know that's often an area of concern and worry for people. And I have over the years heard from many family caregivers and seen the kind of questions that are posted online. And I know that people often have concerns about an older person resisting help or making decisions that concern their family. And people aren't sure if maybe they have, you know, if they're having memory problems and if that's part of making these decisions or financial choices that are questionable. So there's lots that goes on 
that people struggle with or, or challenges that people wrestle with. And we'll be covering some of those in the podcast as well. So now to wrap up this first introductory episode, I want to end by telling you a little bit more about the website for the podcast, because that's where you can learn more about the things you'll be hearing us discuss on the show. The website is called betterhealthwhileaging.net. It's the same site that I use right now for my blog and for all the written resources and articles that I have. And in the main menu at the top, you'll see a tab labeled podcast. If you click there, you'll find a list of all the recent episodes. And if you click the title of the episode, you'll be able to read something called the show notes. And that means a brief summary of what was covered in the episode. And then that's also where I'll post links to any related articles or resources, especially if I've mentioned them during the show. If you have any questions or comments about something you heard during an episode, you can leave a comment right on the page for each episode, just like you can for a blog post. And I'll be sure to respond as soon as I'm able. And now that's it for this first episode of Better Health While Aging. If you like what you've heard so far, or are interested in more, or if you happen to be one of the people who's been reading my articles and supporting the site, please do subscribe to the show on iTunes. When you subscribe, this makes it easier for others to find our show on iTunes. And although I'm sure this show isn't for everyone, I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. You'll see there's a nice big button on the podcast part of the website that says subscribe in iTunes. So that makes it easy for you to do. So again, if you like the show and would like to support it, please subscribe in iTunes. After that, you can also further support the show by leaving a rating or a review in iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I look forward to you joining us for future episodes of Better Health While Aging. <music>